Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. My name is Bide, and I will be your guide as we try to navigate uh, exactly where we need to go and what we need to do to uh, get to gay space communism, which is the ultimate goal of socialism, uh, communism, every good ism. I want to thank everyone for joining me today. Uh, another Tuesday, another another Fred Hampton Inn and Suites podcast, call-in show. Um, and this this is actually a topic that I don't have too much to say on myself, uh, but I'd, I would really love to hear a lot of your thoughts on, on exactly how we provide some sort of alternative or some sort of, uh, I guess, vision about the actual thing that we want to do. Um, what life would actually look like in that society? What sort of activities and, I guess, cultural zeitgeist would permeate in, in that socialist utopia, right? Uh, we talk a lot about particular policies. We talk a lot about what uh, those policies mean in relation to the system that we're currently in. But having something like universal health care doesn't really tell you anything about what the society would actually look like, uh, you know, after you, after you pass it. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, I think we can all kind of agree that uh, when you hear the phrase family values, even if it's ironic, you think of more right-wing Republican sort of uh, people and, and, and platforms. And I think that's a little problematic, um, mostly because if you want to be the party of family values, there's really only one party or one one uh, group that's really talking a lot about that. And they have somehow the nuclear family associated with their uh, political branding. When, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's it's strange because when I think of a socialist utopia, the first thing I think of is you'd have more time for family values. You've had more time to spend with your families. Uh, you'd have less, basically more money and more funds to actually produce and support a family. Um, and I think that there's an advantage to maybe having some kind of messaging from any sort of uh, leftist or anyone who is uh, trying to talk about why we need universal health care, why there should be ownership stake of workers in their companies and why they should own the means of production. There's, there's, I think there's a lot of, um, what do you call it? Like uh, utility in telling people what that means practically for how society will look like, you know, how it will, benefit their families, how it will benefit uh, their societies as a whole. Um, 
Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the basic, the basic gist of it, really. I, I think, you know, it's, it's, I think we kind of, generally speaking, so there's this, there's this documentary coming out by a guy named Matt Walsh. And it's about, uh, you know, this bullshit ass question that we're always talking about in the culture war, which is what is a woman? And I think it's coming out tomorrow, maybe. Uh, I saw some stuff on Twitter about it. I saw that, you know, there's already people having these huge battles in the comment sections of Twitter. But I, I guess what really made me want to talk about this topic is when you see sort of cultural war issues, it seems that a lot of people who are on the right have a specific plan or a specific vision. Um, they, that vision is one that does not include a lot of people. It's a vision that is oppressive to a good population of people. But it's a vision. And people need, or people really, they may not need it, but it, it's helpful to have an idea of what buying into a political party or a political movement, how that's actually, like what that is going to end up being like, like living in. Um, and, you know, the nuclear family has been attractive for that reason. You know, the breadwinner who comes home and takes care of the kids with, you know, his wife. Uh, and I say his wife because I, I don't think the nuclear family really accounts for really two working parents or, uh, you know, a female breadwinner or anything like that. I'm talking about the traditional sort of working, you know, madmen uh, nuclear family. Uh, you know, there's kind of a clear idea of what that, society in a in its own sort of utopia is going to look like. Uh, and I don't think we we speak enough about what that looks like for us. So I'll, I guess I'll give a benefit or uh, like a breakdown of what I think. Um, I don't think a nuclear family needs to go away, but I do think that its utility is going to be uh, a little lessened in a socialist society, Right. Social society, ideally, what you're going to have is less working hours. You're going to have uh, more fair wages or more fair compensation for the work that you put in uh, and more free time. So can a nuclear family exist within that structure? Yes. But another sort of, I guess the real benefit that I see from a more socialist society would be With that sort of collective ownership of the means of production, uh, you're going to have a lot more, your class interests or your interests with, with, like, uh, with other people is going to be made much more clear, right? So in having this sort of working collective that bargains together, that makes uh, decisions in the workplace together, I see that as fostering uh, more of a sense of community with 
the people that you work with, with the people who are part of your society, uh, the people that you engage with professionally. Uh, to me, that that would entail that that sort of collectivist sort of uh, society would be a better place for communities to actually be built up, right? If you have a lot of free time and you're already used to working with these people for the same uh, sort of towards the same goals and everyone's sort of buying in, that to me sounds a lot more like a collectivist culture that you'd find in somewhere like, uh, you know, like Nigeria. Uh, you know, in I can remember going to Nigeria as a kid and again as an adult. And whenever I go to, I would go to visit my grandparents there. Uh, you'd go into this, this compound of these different houses and they're all sort of together in a neighborhood. And there are 40 or 50 kids just running around in the yard. Uh, some of them related, some not. And just groups of adults who are, you know, you have some people over here, five or six people over here are cooking. A couple people over there are doing laundry. Uh, but there was much less of a divide between sort of my family or who I knew was my family and who was just in my community. Uh, right? So you'd see people who were... Um, I mean, you see people who, I mean, my dad, for example, is one of like 24 brothers and sisters, which is a lot, but even he doesn't know which one of those are blood related and which aren't right. Some of them were just kids without parents who came off the street to, uh, that were just taken in as just part of his family. And that sort of stuff is more common, uh, in, you know, like a collectivist culture. And I think there would probably be, you know, I think there are some real benefits to a society that has more of that. Um, when you think of things like child rearing and child care, right? Uh, not that us millennials would know anything about having kids right now because we're all broke and uh, are not, apparently we're not fucking enough to have kids. I don't know, but... <laughs> You know, when when you think of um, how difficult of a job that really is, uh, it, it's 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 crazy almost to to have a kid in a capitalist society, right? You are still going to be expected to work. You are not going to be able to spend a lot of time with that kid. It's really expensive. It's uh, you know, babies are absolutely helpless. They cannot do a good goddamn thing for themselves. Uh, babies are. Human babies are literally the worst when it comes to taking care of themselves. It's 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 almost like they're designed to try to kill themselves, right? Um, they face the existential dread of life as soon as they come out. I don't know. They're 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 bad, right? It, they're very they're a handful. You always have to watch them. There's always got to be someone involved in making sure they're okay. And when you see how that would fall on one parent or two. It's a full-time job with another full-time job. And that's really, really difficult, right? So if the time that you spend at work is not time that you can spend making sure your baby doesn't die. Uh, so if you work less hours, number one, and you have more free time, you can 
de- uh, dedicate more of your time to actual child rearing. But if you have more of a community uh, community or a collectivist culture, there's going to be like you're sharing that load of of raising your own child, which is I don't know if it's weird for some of you all to hear that, but like you know my. I had a friend who just had a baby in in Ghana, and every time you would call FaceTime to to see his kid and the family, again, there's like 10 different adults all around who are holding this baby, who are feeding it, who are changing it, who are all participating in the upbringing of this kid. And the mother's not under this intense sort of stress that we're kind of used to seeing here. Um... People are a lot more, I don't, it seems like a much more vibrant environment for a, a kid to come up in. Uh, and I would envision, I guess my version of gay space communism has a, has a, an emphasis on collectivity and community. I'm not telling anyone to sacrifice their individuality. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's even possible. But I do think that having more time to yourself, uh, having less time that you would have to spend at work, and having you know less financial stressors means that you can actually care about what's going on in your community. Um, since you would be used to more collectivist action to begin with, too, in a socialist society, it means that you're also used to getting to know the people who are around you, getting to know the people who have your similar interests. Uh, I think the family for, I guess, a socialist utopia can look a lot like what we see out of somewhere like Nigeria, where you do have this core sort of nuclear family that is, you know, they are the actual parents and the actual siblings, but they are constantly sort of involved with uh, aunties and and uncles who are living in uh, your community and and cousins and people who can play with and, you know, these groups of kids that are all playing together and looking out for each other and uh, having less of a sort of emphasis or less of a burden just placed on any one individual, uh, if that makes sense. But yeah, I would love to hear if anyone has anything to say about it or uh, would like to call in. I mean, I I just think it is something that it's a topic that, uh, you know, I think I thought was worth exploring Um, because it's, it's one that it's a question that I get a lot. Uh, So we have our first caller. It's uh, Shelly. Go ahead and unmute yourself and uh, speak. Hey, bud. How are you? I was trying not to be the first caller. Oh, Shelly, I can't hear you. Let me oh. let me let me adjust my on my end. Can everyone else hear Shelly? I can hear you, bud. Okay, let me try this again. All right, Shelly, can you talk again? Yes, I'm here. Okay, cool. I can hear you. I was just going to say, I was trying not to be the first caller. 
but here, <laughs> no, here we we got to keep with tradition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, let's see. No, I do. I do think it's a really important topic um, to talk about as far as you know, gay space communism, which obviously I believe involves glitter and spaceships. And I think that's all I got. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I do think, um, so are you kind of talking about what would more of the cultural aspects of it look like, or what would be more of like just society structure or what, or what would we want to eventually achieve? Or are you talking yeah. about like right after the revolution, here we go. This is what it looks like. No, I think, I think the eventual achieve thing is okay. part of that conversation. But to me, it's really, how do we pose an alternative to, uh, one side or, or one, uh, party having this uh, sort of a monopoly on family values, right? Or this monopoly on what a family looks like, or being the party of family families or the party of whatever. And also, like, how much are families a part of, you know, I guess what we're trying to achieve here, if that makes sense. Right. Well, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why the, the, the so-called left and even liberals, I think, um, the reason why they don't sort of have an answer to sort of like that whole kind of like the family, family traditions, family values. I think you're right that you kind of immediately sort of think about the, the disaffected, um, I mean, let's be frank, white working class group that kind of like looks back at like leave it to beaver and goes, Oh man, those are the days like pie every day, you know, and right. wife in an apron. Um, and so I think the problem with it is, is, it's the fact that we don't define family values and like for me, if I'm talking about like in, in the eventual goal, like I don't care what your family looks like. Is your kid happy? Are they closed? Are they well fed? Right. Adjusted? Like, I don't care what family values looks like. Um, but I think one of the bigger issues with it is, is, from what I see from a lot of, like, the reactionary, like, right side, I'm just thinking about that, like, oh, that awful, like, TikTok channel, like, the libs of TikTok or whatever. Like. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Fear they have that, like, someone that has, like, a, you know, a a non-traditional gender, you know, description of themselves is going to infect their kids with, like, transgenderism or something, like, like, I don't think you can catch it. At last, I, I checked. You know, I didn't think. Yeah, yeah. That's that, that. See, that's the. Um, and also, you can catch it. So be careful. Oh, uh, okay. it, we're all going to be trans by twenty. Actually, in about twenty minutes, we're all going to be trans with the transmission rates as they are. Uh, right. So everyone, get ready. Um, I'm ready. But, uh, you know, that aside, I do think. I think that's sort of what I'm trying to hit on here is that there's this this fear of it's almost as if uh, this fear of what our society would look like culturally uh and it's almost as if it's it's i i guess i, I don't know why that fear is as deep as as it is with people but I do think that when people think of a sort of more traditional society or when they try to envision what a society will look like, it's a lot clearer in the minds, 
in Americans at least, uh, to have this nuclear family sort of look, man, woman, children, white picket fence, than it is whatever we're offering, right? Because there are going to be differences as to the compositions of the families and everything that we have. And I'm with you. I don't really care what, you know, what it looks like. I'm more invested in the outcome of the, the kid themselves, right? Are they clothed, fed, educated, yada, yada? You know, whoever is, you know, whoever is involved in whatever it is that you want to call it, family, like your community group, your, you know, whatever thing that sort of centers you and sort of, um, you know, you, you bring yourself up in and you bring your family into the environment that you bring it into. Um, right. I, I feel like maybe some of it, I feel like maybe some of that fear and maybe I'm like trying to psychologize these people too much. I don't know. But I feel like under a capitalist system and in our bourgeois democracy that we have, people don't have like people don't have any control in your workplace situations. You don't really have any control. Um, you go vote every four years, but the candidates are already picked by, you know, the corporations that like the DNC and the RNC, they're corporations. They're not, you know, they're not like political groups and they already, they already pick them out. Um, you know, they're vetted behind the scenes. It's, you know, and then the media pushes them. And so everyone just kind of feels like they don't have any control. And I feel like maybe some of that, some part of that is the kind of the looking backwards and looking like traditionally is because everyone sort of has this idea that back then things were fine. People had a say so over their lives. Now everything feels yeah. out of whack. And so if they can just cling to those, those things because they can control the family. I, I think there's, there's definitely a something profoundly true there because the, the thing about the good old days is that familiarity is a, powerful sort of drug in its own way, right? People will stay in abusive relationships sometimes because their partner is familiar and they know the routine and they know the, the, uh, you know, how things are kind of going to play out most of the time, right? It's this familiarity aspect. And I do think that when people start to look back onto traditional families and think about the good old days and the nuclear family, there's an element of that that is coming from a place of longing for the familiar, longing for something they know, right? Or they, at least, when the world made sense. And I do think that one of the, one of the issues that we're always facing is because we're looking at the world and saying, hey, we, we realize that there are so many of these things that don't make sense, and here are the reasons why. But after that is the fear of the unknown, right? There is this fear of the unknown as if like, because while all these social things are also happening with these economic, um, you know, these the economic issues and social issues are happening in tandem, right. right? And when we're talking about reforming, making big reforms to our economic system, and we're also making big reforms socially, there is this fear that people are going into this unknown zone of living, this unknown sort of unfamiliar place. And that's always going to be more scary for people and harder for people to envision because it hasn't happened yet, right? So I think part of the reason why I'm interested in this topic is because 
I would like to give people a more solid sense of what it is, what day-to-day life is going to look like for them when we make these reforms. Now, part of that, too, like, I, I know not everyone's big into families and everything, too, and I totally get that. That's, like, that makes total sense, and I would never want to tell someone how to live their life. But I think part of what really irks me about having this, you know, mostly Republicans who have this branding of the traditional family with them, or just a family, a strong family unit, is that I believe most socialist reforms would produce stronger family units if they wanted them, right? The, the, like, the outcome would be, if you wanted to dedicate more of your time to developing a stronger family unit, you would be able to, you would be free to do that. Um, but I don't think that's going to be what all of society looks like, nor do I, I think it should look like that. Right, And I think that's kind of one of the things that's like, uh, it's kind of one of the things that sometimes I get kind of, and I mentioned this uh, last, I think last night on Bree's show, sort of the kind of the Western leftist perspective of, of being kind of chauvinistic. And I think the same thing happens whenever we talk about traditional family values. And like you're talking about Nigeria, like who's to say one is better than right. And, you know, there are things you can learn from different cultures instead of just assuming that the way you've been doing it in the past is the best way. Um, and it's just like how, you know, you can kind of like with all this, like the CRT debate and, you know, all this nonsense that's going on. It's just like, well, I don't want them telling my kids about this and about this and about this. Okay. Well, I don't want you telling my kids to live in a traditional family unit. Like, like once again, we go back to this whole like freedom thing. Like, like the right always seems to have just a lock on like the freedom and liberty debate, and we don't ever have like the response to it. Where it's like, okay, well, you're free to have what you consider as your traditional family unit, and these people that have more of a community family just leave them alone. Like, so yeah. Alone. So I think this is where actually Star Trek is useful, right? like this idea of the actual gay space communism, because they do have this, a lot of, a lot of this utopia is sort of set up there, right? So they have a, you know, this federation that has somehow eliminated scarcity for all living beings with, uh, that are under it, who are no longer having to worry about sustenance and, and things like that. Right. You have a bunch of different aliens and all with their different cultures and all with their different belief systems, all operating under uh, or operating on, you know, ships together uh, towards common goals without anybody saying, hey, you need to you're being too Klingon right now or you're being too whatever. Right. Like. There's this separation. I, 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 I think that as a vision is probably where, honestly, where socialism would end up is something along those lines. Uh, is that just what we need to do? Is it just a matter of pitching Star Trek to people and saying, this is what we want our society to look like? No. I, 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 yes and no. I mean, I can, I can sort of 
I kind of get the idea of, of going there, but at the same at the same time, if there's one thing the working class, just in general, hates more than anything, more than anything, is I feel being kind of duped or feeling like people weren't upfront and honest with them. And I think the whole thing with like socialism and whenever you make that transition, it's not going to be it's not going to be easy. You know, like if if you think about all of the kind of revolutions that have that have happened and you know you have actually existing socialism i mean take take the ussr 14 countries invaded the ussr and tried to overthrow it in a civil war and so you're always going to have like these other forces that are outside that want to regain control and so it, it will be a struggle you know at first and i i feel like we can't just like cut that out and say oh no but we're it's all going to be spacesuits and if you're Captain Kirk betting aliens, you know? Right. I totally, I totally get that. And you know, like uh, Captain Kirk, as long as there's consent, whatever he wants to do is fine with me. Like go, go for it, buddy. But the, you know, the, the, I, I think that the realities are always going to be different than the, the sort of offering of the picture that, you want it to be right. Um, it's the same already when you talk about the traditional family or the nuclear family. I mean, the reality is something more along the lines of Mad Men when the the wife is, you know, going around shooting signs off of her neighbor's yard and uh, not allowed to work and not allowed to actually be her own person. And uh, you know, yeah, your dad's an alcoholic and there's all kinds of bullshit going on with that too. Like that's uh, that's just there's always going to be a disconnect between our realities and, and what's actually being pitched to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get it. It's just like, I, I, you know, I, I just, we're talking about what we, what we eventually want to say. And it probably won't happen in our lifetime, you know? Um, so uh, you're know. saying the, the reality that we want to get to won't happen in our lifetime. Probably speak more about Star- that. You uh, speak more about that. Probably not Star Trek communism. Um, right. Be, if we're talking, why I think it won't happen in our lifetime. I'm not saying that there won't be um, advances towards it or anything like that. But um, there's a whole lot of catch-up work that uh, socialist nations need to do, you know, for just society in general. You know, I mean, we, we have to we have to figure out, you know, how it is that we help underdeveloped countries actually develop without ex- exploitation. Um, there, there's a ton of work that would need to be done before we could kind of reach that level to where everyone is sort of coexisting in that, in that same way before we could get to sort of like the utopian vision. That's the reason why I say, I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime, but it doesn't make me not want to fight for it. You know, we're talking well, about. I, I get that. I get that. How, how about this? We're gonna uh, we're gonna do a little just a thought exercise. All right. I want everyone on on the podcast or on the call or whatever to to do this little thought exercise right now. Let's take away the the practical steps brain in us. Let's let's close our eyes. Let's reach into our the inner depths of our mind, and let's look at all the you know the parts of our minds that are talking about reality or what's actually happening in front of us 
let's just let's just tilt our head to the left and let it just all slip out of our head, right out of our left ear. There go all those practical thoughts, and there goes all that talk about reality and everything. And now put your head back up. All right? Are you seeing a bunch of uh, fairy tale bullshit? Okay? Now tilt your head to the left again, and that word bullshit, just let it go out. Let it, get, let it leave your mind. And tilt your head back up. Oh, now the fairy tale's there. No more bullshit or anything in there? Okay, good. It's all the fairy tales and the happiness and the, the utopia that we're actually fighting for, right? And that's where we're going to spend, like, the rest of okay. the call is oh, right there. You got me. I, I, it's really, really hard for me to take like. My no, I'm Shelly. I'm. I swear to God, I'm right there with you. I. It. It. It's very difficult for us to do because we're constantly like. I feel like we're constantly on fucking Adderall, just like gritting our teeth about like, eh, eh, the the fucking world's falling apart. I get that, and and and. But I wanna I wanna play with the fantasy. To, baby, today is fantasy day. This okay. is another fantasy day. We're we're here for the fantasy of our utopia. Let's let's develop it, build it, block up, right? Like we're right. kids playing in our backyard or something, right? Like fantasy for me, fantasy for me, and I'm not gonna do like like outer space. I'm just talking about this mm-hmm. planet. I see like I would have to say like open and free travel. You know, wherever it is, oh, that hell yeah, you can possibly want to go. Because we all live in like this equal society, no one country is better or worse than anyone, no population, so it's just, no one cares if you come in and, you know, hang out and whatever we consider like the border areas. I would see kind of like, I would hope for like this lush green planet, like where we can like fix climate change and like we can have just a whole lot of like lush, like well-kept like forests and... Um, yeah. You know, I mean, are you are you hiking in those forests? Are, what are you doing? You're hiking in those forests? Or are you? I mean, you can. How are you spending your time? You want, you know, you can have like animal reserves, and you can hike, and then you can just like walk in like a little trail, just if you know you don't want to spend all day out in it. And yeah, what what are what are you doing in that lush green forest, or what are you doing with all that green space that now exists and that free travel, Shelley? What? You specifically, what would you like to do? I would go, and everything would be cheap, too, you know? So it's not like you have to do an arm and a leg to go take a flight somewhere or whatever. Yeah. Go to all the places that I want to go. See what Like where? Like, um, well, I really, I really want to go to Thailand. Um, I really want to go to the Middle East. I mean, there's so many places. Yeah. I, I want to go to Thailand too, and the Middle you know East. I actually, see, yeah. I want to see what Palestine looks like once we've got all that shit fixed. Oh, word! That's a, you, okay. We're still in the practical a little bit. We're still, we're still there. Yeah, I know, but a little bit. Is, like, but... I would like to go there, and I would like to see what that future is when everything is resolved. I, I think it would be beautiful. I mean, gorgeous beaches over there and stuff like that, and having people like free and happy, and not yeah. at each other's throats. You know, I. That's what I would like to see. That's that's kind of my utopia is just like and like all of those nice fantasy like beautiful things and we've got great technology and and that type of stuff and then no one is killing each other over 
bullshit. That's that's really my fantasy. Yeah, the I, I think no one killing each other over bullshit is going to be a a necessary part of any utopia, right? Yeah, Unless kind of, you just like killing people over bullshit. Kind of <laughs> and then in that case, he is, you know, people are just moving free and there's not strife. And then yeah. We can all go visit these places together and learn about past cultures and, you know, where people came from and actually appreciate all those things. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I, 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 I like the idea of, being able to travel freely, you know, not worry about the whole, uh, not necessarily like borders, but any of the hangups that would come with travel. Um, I would like to go to different places that all have still their own cultures mm-hmm. and just, you know, watch some, kind of see what they're getting into, you know? My my little brother went down to uh, Panama or somewhere along there, but his uh, girlfriend was in the the Peace Corps and did a some kind of uh, I guess tour or I don't know what you call it deployment over there, and they went to this little village where uh, she had been stationed, and they uh, the people who were living there went up to my brother and asked him to sing the song of his people which is uh, kind of hilarious, right? Like, sing the song of my people is, is great. But I think, I think it's that's what I would want to hear. Freebird? You said, well, it's Freebird? Yeah. <laughs> no, he sang some, like, fucking hymn or something, and he's got a terrible singing voice. He sings like this all damn low. You know, and it was, it was very funny, though. He was very embarrassed whenever we found the video of it. He was not trying to show it to us. But, I mean, I, but I do want to hear the song of, like, different people. You know, I want to go to, you know, England and see, uh, sit in the globe and watch a Shakespeare play. I want to go to Japan and see Kabuki theater. I want to go to um, Nigeria and see all the shit they're getting into, right? Like uh, see some burner boy or see, you know, whatever, whatever they have to offer. And I think that's, I do think that generally a big part of allowing those places to sort of flourish is sort of freeing up the necessity with which a lot of these places have to constantly be working to meet their sustenance, right? Like, we'll go back to the practical for one second, right? Like, one of the big one of the big differences or distinguish, distinguishing features between capitalism generally and socialism is the the what the goals are for the actual production, right? What, what are we actually producing for? In capitalism, it's always for profit, right? To, to make more money. In socialism, really, it's elimination of scarcity most of the time. If people are still making money, sure, if they're owning the means of production, whatever, they get to determine how, you know, much of, uh, how many widgets they make in order to meet that need. But generally speaking, like the, the, free up from the need to just produce to make excess capital. They are now free to, uh, you know, uh, production is, um, production is planned in, uh, and the goal is human flourishing. Yes. Yes. That's exactly, exactly. So I think, uh, you know, when I think of, 
I guess socialist utopia or whatever, I think, you know, a necessary part of that is always going to have to be, um, or uh, getting there. The things that I like and the things that I want out of like an ideal sort of utopia all flourish whenever there is less of a need for those people to work and produce outside of that. You know what I mean? Um, when people are more free to pursue these creative endeavors or to, um, you know, to hang out in their communities or whatever. Like, I'd love to go, I mean, Thailand would be sick. They have these like temples and weird little hidden, I don't know if they're churches or if they're just whatever that are just in these, in these jungles and, and these little hideaways and everything over there. That seems like that would be awesome, right? Just to go and see that and experience that and to see what that's all about. Because, you know, human human history and culture is so rich. And there are a lot of places on this planet that are gorgeous. And I I would want to see and experience as much of that as I can before my, you know, before the lights go out. Um, yeah, and like all that, like the, the, all the all the countries that are located around the Horn of Africa and stuff, like those are all gorgeous. I mean, like Africa is just beautiful anyway you know i mean it just is beautiful country yeah Yeah. (laughs) i I mean there's tons of places i'd love to go in africa there's a lot there's a lot okay so we have travel Mm -hmm. so is that something we pitch in the socialist utopia right like you'll have more free time to travel (laughs) um yeah sure i i think i think what what my pitch would be is um you know, human flourishing to the point where human potential is unleashed. You unleash the human potential to innovate, to solve crises um, instead of, I guess, because to me, a part of it is technology. You know, you, you do a lot of technology to take place of a lot of that work. Yeah. And- because you have sort of like the socialist lens, it's not just about like, oh, you don't have work, then you don't get paid. You know, it's still kind of like, well, have, you know, you're going to contribute to society in another way. Yeah. So it's about yeah. being able to unleash the human potential, whether that be, well, you don't actually have to go clock in at like an R&D place, but you can just be some scientist somewhere that's just innovating and coming up with things on your own. But everyone knows you're productive. So I think there is like a certain amount of like, you can pitch like, freedom and liberty and innovation and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it too. Yeah. And China. The, the ability to bring humans forward and instead of constantly just staying backward. But I really want to hear from other people about what their, what their glitter and spaceships future looks like. Yeah. I'd love to hear that too. If anyone else wants to call in and Rika, talk about, I wanted to hear what Rika had to say about like the family values. Stuff too. Yeah, me too. Me too. Always. Oh, speak of the devil. Okay. Well, uh, always a pleasure talking with you, Shelly. Thanks for calling. All right, Rika, go ahead and unmute yourself and then blow our minds. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. You know, I'm just calling to hang out. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, um, hell yeah. Uh, I love, I love, 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 love the question of like, what's our utopia? I love living in that world of envisioning and 
you know, writing it out, writing poetry to it, drawing, you know, I, I just absolutely love that question, Brian. So I really, I really appreciate that. I don't know if folks had seen, um, I know everyone has their um, dig at AOC and some of it's very justified, even though I will always love her as my favorite congressional Boricua. Um, Go ahead. Speak your truth. But she, well, she has this beautiful, beautiful, I think it's illustrated by Molly Crabapple. Um, there's a beautiful video where she's talking about the future and what it looks like. And let me tell you something. I cried my eyeballs out when I watched it. And really? if that makes me a sap, so be it. Yeah. No, girl, don't. I, that's cool. It was, let- it was just like, you don't get to see um, political representatives be that sappy <laughs> and vulnerable, you know, and and in that way it was so endearing and it was so it was so it was so great so i just do you know what that's called or anything i kind of i want to it's like trying to look it up years from now or something like that if you type in like aoc 50 years from now molly crabapple i'm sure it will come up um but it's a beautiful beautiful video but so like to indulge the fantasy for a second like well part of it is not even really fantasy for me so i don't know if you've ever been to puerto rico but it is, it is where my heart and soul lives. It is, yeah. it is, it is amazing. It is gorgeous and community and culture there are, I wish, like, I wish it for the world. <laughs> like you yeah. have public spaces, people are out on the corners, in the streets, just hanging out at night. Everyone from like the abuelitas to like the little kids. It's just like, yeah. it is, it is it is, I, I absolutely adore it, adore it. And that's not to say that it's like perfect, you know, but I, um, stop hedging, of, stop hedging with it. It is perfect. <laughs> fuck all y'all. Fuck all the rest of you. It's perfect. You heard it here first. If I, if I could live there and make it work, I tried, actually tried. I was like, I tried to move there in October and it didn't work out for me, but I, yeah. if it could, if, if they could have their goddamn independence, then it would work. But, um, right. But to, I, yeah, the whole, like, I was thinking about the question of, because the question of why doesn't the left posit a vision like that? And I was thinking more of less of why does the left do it and more of like, why does the right do it? Right. Why does the right, right. feel the need to do it? Because I, I'm kind of with Shelly on this. I don't think, I don't think the left actually needs to posit a particular vision of um, like how we want to structure family lives right. or anything like that. Because the, the minute that you do, you invite um, one, you then start to design the economics around that, that particular expression of family to which no one will be able to actually maintain anyway. And in fact, like the, the rights version of the Judeo Christian quote unquote family value crap, you know, um, that no one lives that anyway. Like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of an ideal, um, that many people fa- fail to attain. And, um, you know, everyone's cheating on their, their wives and has their children out of wedlock and, gets their abortions and pays for them just fine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, yeah. like they, it's full of hypocrisy, which is why I also think the left shouldn't actually venture down that route of trying to create necessarily 
or try to organize society around a family unit, I should say. Um, yes, so much as yeah. we in, in a particular yeah. family unit. Um, I think, but, go ahead. Sorry, Biden. I was just, so do you think that puts us at a significant disadvantage just because the, you know, whether it's a zeitgeist or I don't, I don't know what it is, but you know, we like to, you know, bump uglies and then kids come from that. And then they're, <laughs> you know, they're our responsibility after that. Right. And then it's just sort of some Not people bumping of uglies yields in, a hundred percent. And actually my favorite type of bumping uglies does not involve, (laughs) it does not yield any children. (laughs) My favorite kind. Uh, but the kind that does, you know, I, I, I'd imagine like it hasn't happened to me yet, but I'm obviously one going to be in my, for me, it's important. I'm in my kid's life. It's, you know, I would, so you want kids though. I do. I do personally. Um, and I do think that a lot of people have that, whether it's an instinct or something that's that's in them to want kids and they want those kids to be okay, right? And I think that even if we, you know, it is a hypocrisy, the, the nuclear family that's been advertised and the people who advertise it or, or you know, purport it are sort of hypocrites themselves oftentimes. Mm-hmm. But it is sort of a, it feels like, a natural desire or a desire that aligns well with a lot of people's sort of uh, instincts, I suppose. And I, and that's, a, there's a lot of wavy shit in there. And I know that all of that yeah, is yeah. like, you know what I mean? It's, it's well, in flux, but do you know yeah. what I'm saying? I, I get, I get, I think, I think many people do have a desire to want to um, create, community, whether that be in fam, uh, uh, their idea of a family or a nuclear family or whatever that looks like. And I, I think that, that that is really, to me, what I identify as an instinctual component is to, is to find ways to be in relationship with people, not necessarily to build a particular model of family. So I, I, that resonates yes. a little bit. Yeah, I think that's um, true. But the, the problem is, is that it's not, it's, the problem is not necessarily just even that there's inherent like hypocrisy that comes through with people trying to attain a particular ideal necessarily. I don't, it's not necessarily that it's so much as that when you start to organize the state and the economy around those ideals, you, you are, you invite oppressing other people by not granting them the rights or privileges, right? Because they don't need that ideal, uh, right? That particular form. I mean, that's the whole basis for, um, why the house scene and for the, I don't know if you know what that is or for the, but the house ballroom scene, right? Like they, it emerges. The reason why you have houses where trans people or trans, you know, queer and trans people take in each other is because that model of the nuclear family fails. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But, and, and, and yes. So I, I, I know about that and it's also, I mean, yeah, that's that sucks. I I see what you're saying. You keep yeah. going. Yeah. But what my and my my point is more that would and I think this is why leftists try to stay for the most part or around away from these things called that and I think this would be part of that bucket is called the culture war is like what is the ideal family, right? Like I think that naturally falls into this because that's what people are on the right are fighting is their erosion of their semblance of a society 
that seems quote unquote the normal status quo, right? That is the culture war, right? Yeah. And I think the reason why I left this veer away from that is because uh, it can reproduce the type of systemic oppression that they're trying to outdo. And, and politically it will, you're always going to alienate people from your base who don't fit that model. I mean, and to be quite frank, like, you know, and you don't even have to go to like queer and trans people to see like, I mean, you just have to go to like a lot of communities of color <laughs> who are not organized in this, like, yeah, you know, wife, one wife or one spouse, whatever it is, and 2.5 children and a dog and a white picket fence, like, you know, and even then that didn't even exist until like as an ideal really until the forties and fifties. So I, I think it's just kind of, um, uh, I, I, I just think we invite a lot of problematic um, situations when we start organizing around those ideas as a political project. But I think what we can do is the solution to me is not that we don't offer a vision of a better world. It's just how do we do it? And and to me, what it stems from is you you start with always the issues that are affecting plaguing people's lives, right? Right. And you invite the alternative through uh, the alternative vision by talking about, well, what if it was different? And it was something that actually, like, you know, worked in your interest and met everyone's interest and then invite them to collective action. And this is what we do when we're doing union organizing. When I meet people... I'm 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 going through the process of what we call a one-on-one conversation, where where I'm trying to get their story, learn learn about their experience on the shop floor, or whatever they're doing in their profession, why they even chose to do what they do, if they had a choice in it, how they're, um, what are the biggest issues that come up with them in the workplace, how that affects their lives. And then what we do is we invite them to question whether or not they've been able to change them or not, change, you know, and if so, how, whether or not they've been successful at it, and then pose an alternative of how that could, that change could come about. And we do so by also talking about examples elsewhere of places where like union contracts have existed, where people actually do have it better because they've organized a union, right? right. And so I think that is kind of the, to me, that's what we need to be doing is and and what liberals fail to do very very like bluntly they do not posit a better vision and an example of a vision or pointing to even countries or nations where others exist but socialists as as we often see and do they they do they talk about all those nordic countries right where people have free health care and free um education and uh, a social safety net that looks very, you know, that, and that galvanizes people. That is what motivates people. So for me, I'm just like, I think when I think about what, when I look at diagnosing what the left is doing wrong or not, to me, it's not that, that we're not offering a vision or an alternative. I think we do all the time. Um, and we live it out all the time as well. I think more so that, we have people in power who are Democrats who say they represent kind of progressive ideas, but 
fail to actually really concretely propose an alternate vision that's worth organizing around and taking political action around. That's, right. that's my perspective. Or they offer the same vision that's already been offered by Republicans and yes. you know, re- therefore reinforce yeah. that vision, right? I think, yeah. no, there's a real, I mean, first of all, as always, flame, absolute hot fire that you're <laughs> spitting. Uh, uh, second of all, I do think there's a real... <sighs> I guess where I get stuck up on a little bit is I don't know to what extent that vision is innate versus understood only because of our cultural reinforcement of it, right? Um, what do you mean? The family, the nuclear family sort of vision, the white picket fences and everything. I know that wasn't that wasn't uh, part of the 19... Uh, it wasn't a thing until the 1940s. But, but families have been a thing for forever right Mm -hmm. Uh, sure is it are for some reason i guess there's like a i i I, i'm not really sure what i'm trying to get at here i guess what i'm here so here's where i'm at i'll just kind of explain it and see if you can make sense of it right but i do think that the current condition that we're in generally speaking leaves a lot of people feeling very lonely and isolated from each other. Yes. It lets, it, it does not really cultivate and has not cultivated community or a, a comfort with even the idea of community. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's almost like a, a collective social anxiety that exists. Right. Mm-hmm. The vision of the, at least the nuclear family sort of attaches a politics to, Hey, if things were different, if we went back to more traditional things and you would at least have this, which would solve your social isolation and which would be something, you know, um, would be different, right? We could at least get back to this point where things were different and you're in a family and then you can build a community out and maybe join a church or whatever. I, I think that I struggle to tell people because I, I, I always start with policy first, like you said. And then you want to talk about how that's going to impact their lives. But I think one of the things that kind of freaks people out a little bit in a way, or some people, I don't know, is that you offer them, say, this is, you'll have more, you know, the, the alternative vision. You'll say you'll have more free time. You'll have more ability to choose what you want to do. But a lot of people are still sort of left in that zone of, well, what do I want to do? Who do I want to associate with? What's my community actually look like? How does that actually make me build community is how is my life going to change except that I now have more free time to feel existential dread. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. I'm curious. I'm, I'm some level. I am curious why you pers why you personally or, or politically and collectively feel the need to fill that answer. Um, right. Because I think when you try to do that, you and, you're actually that you're impeding on self-determination on some level. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Right. And I think, and I think, I think it's okay. I think what's enticing about the status quo, i.e. the nuclear family, i.e. the rights rhetoric for, for some people, clearly not for all who inherently can't participate, um, is that, that it is, it's, it's like, it is structure, right? That you right. want to freewheelie out there, like you said. So I get that. I totally get that. 
Um, I, I just, I don't know for me if I need per, like on an individual level, I don't know if I need a political movement to tell me that I'm going to have a particular arrangement, social arrangement um, around a, a, an idea of family or community in a particular way, right. um, like like the like the right does, to feel like I'm c- going to be connected with people or engaged with people. What the solutions to me around the sense of isolation, connection, purpose, and belonging really um, have not so much to do with providing a prescription around. Uh, a particular version of family, but have to do with being able to meaningfully navigate life without fear of consequence for existing in the world and for for decent choices, right? I.e., I would like to be able to exist, like walk down the street without being harassed or hundred percent, you know, right. Or go, go pr- choose a particular occupation and know that I don't have to go into debt for it and explore whether or not that, that feels like it's something that would be meaningful for me to contribute to or, you know, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, but right, so, uh, oh, go ahead. So what, just to round it off, what I'm trying to get at is that I, I, I think it is, it's just more compelling for me. And I, and I would, and I would imagine that it's a lot more compelling for a lot of different people, um, that beyond me, that, that a movement is more enticing when it offers an invitation in some guardrails, but doesn't give you like this narrow prescription necessarily. Right. Like, okay. So I'll give you an, or just a grounded in something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I I want to I want to talk about this because it's very very local locally. It might not happen the way that it's been characterized nationally has been ridiculous. But the de- de- defunding the police, which is really about police abolition, right? Um, it, in Minneapolis, where I lived, we did a lot of intentional work around building up that movement there, and that is why it had almost like 78% support in the communities that we organized, right? When these, when defund came about. Right. And part of what we were doing was we were demonstrating to people that the status quo will continue to be the status quo. It's historically rooted in all of these oppressive ways, right? And inflicts this harm on our lives. And it doesn't have to be this way. Here are examples where other people have moved away from this model, right? And have done other different things in other societies and in our communities here in the United States. But what we didn't okay. say, what we didn't say was, so now we should go and move forward to uh, peace police, right? And the reason, and that was more inviting to people which sounds contradictory because a lot of people are like saying, well, what's the solution? What's the demand? You know, that that's a constant critique is like, well, what is, what is the alternative? The, the actual idea of just living without harm and violence is actually can be enough. And then figuring out the rest can come then thereafter. Right. Like totally, totally get that. Yeah. That, but isn't that living without harm and violence, isn't that part of the sort of culture that we're trying to create then? Right? Isn't that part of the the message 
or the the utopia that we're pitching to people here is I go ahead. I I think you're right. I think you're right. It is part of that message, but I also think the reason why we're afraid of saying like we have to put some caveats around that. Hundred um, percent. Right. Yeah. Like where it's like harm and violence from police or harm and violence from people for X reason, right? Because the idea that we will be completely without a world of harm and violence is not something that anyone can necessarily guarantee. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. But I, so I, I, to your point, yes, but I, I'm, I'm just saying that like my whole point, sorry, if I'm repeating myself, I, or feel like I'm being kind of too repetitive. I just, I, I don't think my, I think the ways we, we can meet people who maybe feel a little bit unsatisfied by not having um, a alternative for the nuclear family is to invite people to really name for themselves what it is that they want and to tell them, oh, that thing that you want, this is how it's connected to the world that we're building, right? This is how it's totally. connected to that policy totally. that we're making. That's more... Um, effective and efficacious uh, in my uh, so I, I, I totally agree with that and this will be the last thing and then I'll, I'll yeah, move on sure. to, to Karen here but do you think that there's some utility to offering people examples afterwards of what it could look like just multiple examples so not like you know when, when I ask someone who is part of a system that has never really cared what they want mm-hmm. what they want you know for some people it's like well I'd I don't even fucking know, man. I've been I've been surviving this whole time. I have no idea what the what's out there that I could want or not, right? Yeah. So there's this there's this you know, like I think Puerto Rico when you talk about the amount of community, just a, I I fucking love it when people are just hanging out on street corners vibing, just yeah. talking I fucking love it. It's the best. It's the best. It's just people chilling, like just talking, people coming up and having conversations, whatever, bullshitting. That's awesome. I think, you know, do we offer that as a potential vision? Like, look, you'll have more free time if you want to go bullshit on a corner with, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, uh, people of all ages and everyone just hanging around. You know, one of my favorite moments like that's why i love new york a lot of the times is because every once in a while shit like that just happens you know like i remember when when michael jackson died and then people just got a boom box and were outside of some theater in new york just like listening to michael jackson and hanging out for like days you know that's cool i like that that's i i would like to facilitate a society where that kind of stuff can happen more often you know what i mean um, yeah. Do you think yeah. there is any utility? Do you think that every time we offer an alternative, we are necessarily creating a, uh, you know, like a narrative that, or shaping a society to, uh, you know, meet that narrative, thereby eventually uh, dismissing or or uh, hurting people at the margins who would not be into that mainstream sort of narrative. And and no, does that make sense? Yes, no, it makes sense. And I and I, I think I and I just want to clarify when I was and I I no, I, my answer is no. I don't think we are automatically doing that. And I think we always we always should provide examples of how of what it could be. 
what I'm, what, that's not what I was saying. I mean, in fact, again, when just use my union organizing example, we provide examples of how it right. could be. You right. Know? Like, no, so no, you need that. You do need that. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that they have a political movement that's based off of a, the they uh, being the right, it's based off of a particular like right. biblical version of the world where you only exist in this formation, right? right. Of, of, of a family and that, and we don't need that for the left. Right. I think we that's, yes. That. Yeah. That, that makes a lot more sense. sense. That makes a lot more sense, yeah. but the, you know, but that, that gets us back to kind of a, a Star Trek sort of thing where people can just do their own shit, but then, you know, they're kind of, hanging out on space street corners or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm Absolutely. trying to make this example work. I don't know if it's working. Listen, but... spock me up. I'm here. I'm okay. here, baby. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, bye. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you calling in, Rika. Always good to hear Likewise. from you. Likewise. Likewise. All right. Bye. All right, Karen, you're up. Ne- you're, uh, blah, you're up next. <laughs> hey, this is, hey, a, what's this is a fun conversation. Some of my favorite people are on this call. So I thought this was nice to jump jump in yeah Um, come on in yeah um i guess uh kind of building off of something that rika was uh saying because i've in other calls i think i with other podcasters i've heard rika um you know express a feeling or an affinity toward anarchism and that is what i've been reading about and as opposed to communism or socialism you know where you know the state or some group on high is kind of dictating whatever your community's objectives are. You know, to me, um, it seems as if if you're going to have a state objective, it should be as wide as possible. So something like, hey, we want all children to grow to adulthood, you know, safely right. and health, right. you know, with health. <laughs> right. And then right. you. So that's your objective, you know, at the high level, at the hierarchical level. But then you federate, you know, the solutions and give individual communities, you know, freedom and resources to build whatever it is that that community needs to get kids to adulthood. Um, And then do the same thing for each, you know, just so that people who are not part of, you know, the nuclear family who don't have to have the responsibility of raising children, you know, but, but they're still part of the community right. also have supports for those folks at their different points in their lives to get them what they need, including, you know, elder care. Cause even if, you know, you don't plan to raise children, um, and it's, you know, not your goal to be a parent at some point in your life, if you're going to live to be old enough, th- th- that generation's going to have to take care of you. So, so right, even if right. you're not a family-oriented person, which is totally cool, you know, you still have a vested interest, presuming you want to live a long life in children, you know, being raised, you know, to be healthy and not jerks, you know? So yeah. it is a community thing. We're all part of this. Um, and I, that's my thought is that if, if, I don't know, on high, I think, and if you just state that as a goal, I've always thought it seems so funny when conservatives are so obsessed with babies being born (laughs) and then once that baby's born like they're out the door it's like they don't care you know and it takes so much you know 
time. It takes so much money. It takes so much. Yeah. Um, just um, your body. You know, if you're a parent of any kind, um, you know, your body takes a takes a toll from yeah. either birthing the child, or even if you're not the birthing parent, you still. You know, if you're participating, you're staying up at night. You are right. losing sleep. Right. You are your career has to be affected by it because sure, if if you're doing well, <laughs> right, right. If you're doing well. if you're doing your job, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. Those are just my general thoughts. Is that if if whatever utopia you create, you may have to keep the very broad state goals super yeah. broad. Yeah, um, and then let individual communities kind of decide how they create that solution. That's my thought. That's a good thought. It's a good thought. And and Karen, it sounds like you're calling from the socialist utopia right now. I am. Was, I'm walking uh, in my oh little my neighborhood. God. Yeah. <laughs> the birds in the background oh, and everything. I feel like yeah. I'm zenning out, dude. I'm so. Yeah. I'm but just feeling walk, it. <laughs> my walk previously was not so zen. While Shelley was talking, I missed a lot of what Shelley was saying because okay here's a story that kind of that kind of like illustrates what we're talking about what people we need support for people yeah. I'm walking along I'm listening to Shelley a group of police officers have like pulled over um, a woman who looks like she's you know possibly unhoused right and I'm watching and the woman you know I they, at first they, they're just talking to her then they put her in handcuffs and I'm like kind of watching and I'm thinking oh my gosh do I need to like get out my phone, make sure everything's okay. They weren't mistreating her at least. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I cross the street and a woman is walking, watching from a distance in her car. She calls me over to her car and says, that's my daughter over there. She has schizophrenia. I called the police because she threatened to kill me. So, and then this woman is telling me, this is all while Shelly is talking tonight. <laughs> um, wow. But this woman is telling me that... Um, you know, oh my, you know, my husband died a few years ago. I can't handle her anymore. I don't know what else to do. And, you know, I just, you know, I've set her up with an apartment and, you know, I can't, you know, she doesn't take her meds, whatever. So just another illustration of why just, we need more, we need more help. For yeah. People. Like, I, I, that woman, God. what a horrible, you know, a horrible like scenario for her to have to call the police on her daughter. The daughter obviously is not getting what she needs. Why right. are police officers, you know, who right. have no training the, 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 in mental the, the, health? Right. Um, the criminalization the of mental health call? here, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the, the only the fact that the only people that you can call for a situation like this in our society are really the police. And yeah. now we've criminalized someone just having a human experience is really what it comes down to. Right. Like d yeah. having a human condition. Um, you know, I think... I think part of the reason why this question matters to me is because I think of stuff like exactly what you just described, right? Um, when I was an undergrad, I remember taking psychology classes, and one of the things that stuck with me is how, you know, certain mental conditions, uh, people with certain mental conditions fare better in different sort of societies, you know, and one of them was... Uh, you know, people who have schizophrenia tend to have better life outcomes in more collectivist cultures because there's both more people who are around to actually be involved in, in 
helping them or, you know, integrating them into the community. And also because they still need this person from, you know, who has schizophrenia to, to contribute as well. So there's also this other element that's tying them individually back into the society rather than just sort of making them an invalid, right? Um, yeah. And I think it, I always found that just really fascinating to think about because you would think with, or maybe I'm just trained to think that with all the Western medicine and all the Western civilization and Western values and blah, 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 who gives a shit, you know, like that's suddenly going to be the better place for someone who has neurotypical differences. And when you hear something like, you know, well, actually community matters a lot. Actually the people who are willing to invest in you as a person matters a lot. Uh, it starts to kind of show you cracks in the, the current sort of, um, you know, capitalist structure with which we live in. And that's, you know, it's a terrible story to hear. And I'm, you know, I feel for, it just sucks. It sucks. Cause you know, the mom didn't want to fucking call the police on that either. And now she's in handcuffs. Like what the fuck is she doing in handcuffs, bro? Like what's going on here? Yeah. What's, you I know? have no idea. I couldn't get close enough to determine like exactly what they were doing. But, yeah, but to your point just a moment ago, you know, other cultures don't pathologize um, things like schizophrenia or some, you know, some right. certain types of cultures right. don't. And it's just, so some of the, 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 um, uh, you know, symptoms that people, you know, exhibit when they've quote unquote been diagnosed with something, <laughs> um, may not necessarily be due to an actual like illness. I just listened to a really good podcast, um, it's called Coffee with Comrades, and it was there was a gentleman nice. who's a psychotherapist <laughs> who is um, uh, talking about how hey you know psychiatry is kind of bullshit you know that there actually is no um, if you examine the brain of someone who's been diagnosed with for example bipolar disorder yeah <laughs> and then yeah. examine the brain of someone who has not been diagnosed there's no noticeable difference like nobody has identified any physiological sure um sure difference and then he talked about some different studies from the 70s where uh volunteers pretended to hear voices and committed themselves yeah and i know I these know studies yeah these i have yeah yeah <laughs> i'd never heard that that was really yeah fascinating. yeah enlighten the people anyway. about it though yeah no tell tell everyone else about those oh i can't remember the name of the um the the researcher though who did it. i know it was in the 70s yeah um but yeah, he said that these people, these volunteers, went into this, went into different, you know, psychiatric hospitals and just simply said, "I'm hearing voices. I keep hearing a voice that says thud, over and over again." Like right. I guess that's what they they said they heard. <laughs> so these people went into these treatment centers, and so then what they described is that regardless of the fact they they never exhibited any other symptoms, never had any other problems, obviously, but. They were still treated by the staff and by doctors as if they were truly ill, right? And then down the road, eventually, uh, you know, somebody from the research study contacted these hospitals and said, oh, by the way, they weren't really <laughs> ill. This right. was an experiment. Let right. them go. And then supposedly the, um, 
the hospitals and said, oh, well, you won't catch us the next time. We'll be able to diagnose it next time. And so <laughs> um, then all of a sudden these hospitals started like, um, the same hospitals started identifying people that they thought were faking it. And then they went back to the researchers and the researchers said, well, we never sent anyone in. <laughs> so, yeah, so exactly. Yeah, it's a really good podcast if anybody wants to listen to it. Um, yeah. So coffee with coffee with comrades is what it was. Yeah, that's um, a. That, I, I heard a very similar study too that occurred. I can't remember if this was out of the same one or another one too, where they had people who were faking symptoms for certain psychiatric disorders, and they were institutionalized, and they had trouble actually leaving the institutions after that. Yes. Because. Yes. People are like, no, you're actually crazy. You're actually, yep. you know, you actually do have it. And despite the fact that it's, it's, you know, they're researchers. So it's, it, it goes both ways. Now they're releasing people who maybe had neurotypical differences and the needed treatment of some kind. And, you know, at the same time, they're keeping people who don't. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, so anyway, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Those it's are my wild. main points. I just wanted to, I just wanted to share. So, thank you for having this call. Yeah, thank you for calling in. It was lovely talking to you, and thank you for yeah. giving us. Man, listen to all those sounds. This is like a. Oh yes, I know. I need uh, to walk away from the. Lock no, here. no, it's like an ASM. <laughs> it's an ASMR. I want to like. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get into a bathtub and just vibe with it. You know, <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for calling, Karen. Sure. Have a good evening. Yeah. You too. All right, Andrew, go ahead and unmute yourself. Maybe. Maybe. Andrew, are you there, buddy? <laughs> Did the capitalist take you out before you can uh, contribute to the podcast? Everyone, let's let's put a little prayer up for Andrew. <laughs> Go ahead, put up some prayer hands or something for Andrew for <laughs> being taken out by the the global elite before he can actually contribute to the podcast. Everyone, <laughs> amazing grace, how sweet. The sound that saved a wretch like Andrew. I once was lost, but now, oh, I've been taken out by the global elite capitalists. Was blind, but now I'm alone on the podcast. <laughs> well, Andrew must be taking a break. Last time he called in, he was uh, making some some tasty chicken. Uh, oh, looks like he's trying to call call back. We'll we'll try to take him real quick again. Let's see let's see if this works this time. All right, Andrew, let's give it another try. Are you alive, buddy? Go ahead and unmute yourself. Amazing grace. How sweet. All right, Andrew, once you figure out your problems, 
Go ahead and call back in. For now, we'll take Shelly. All right, I'm not even with you. Also, you've got a lovely voice. Okay, so I did notice that Colin updated today. And okay. um, so, Andrew, if you can, update your app and restart your phone, and I'll just hold your place. Because um, that's happened to me before on, like, an update where I didn't, like, I don't know. It's like I didn't, like, actually restart my phone. Like, the app wouldn't work until I restarted it. So maybe just turn it Ah, uh, that might be it. That That is quite possibly it. Thank you, Shelly. Yeah, and I'll just... I mean, I, I'm, I probably don't sing as well as by, but we can just, <laughs> or, <laughs> or no, that's fine. Holler and tell us, cause you know, I will have to say you made me dump my head out twice and then you never made, that's true. Rika, you never made Rika give her utopian version. And- that's well, she said Puerto Rico first to be fair. Yeah, right. And, true. and that to me, I, I, I felt that immediately like the, the yeah. the energy of it, the vibes of it, and I haven't been to Puerto Rico. I've been to. Uh, I, I need to get there. I need to get there because everyone tells me it's amazing. That would be like the next I, trip. I feel like she's attempting to meet the challenge right now. Okay, let's go. Go. All right. Well, let's let's see. We'll go ahead and take her. Thank you, Shelley. All right, Rika, you going to give us your utopian vision? Yes. Yes. I was just calling back in to say Puerto Rico all over again. <laughs> I was just <kidding>. okay. <laughs> No. Okay. So if I, if I had my utopian vision, it would, it would look something actually kind of like Puerto Rico where like, like we're all able to live in like these beautiful lush ass vegetated areas where there's also like wildlife is doing its thing. You know, you got like chickens roaming around places, some like, you know, maybe some wandering cow somewhere, you know, like just like, animals are doing their thing they're not harming people but they're doing their own thing right and we're all navigating we all have like amazing um access to this amazing public transit system that takes us literally everywhere we need to go yeah Um, that's nice yes and i'm i would love it for it to take me to a beach every day that would be great hell yeah that my utopia um and yeah, I'm going to be that person that says organic food everywhere because, yes, organic food that works everywhere for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 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 And and I'm I'm going to say my – I would love – like, I'm a nerd at heart. I really am. And I could be in school class discussions, like, all day. I don't want to – I don't want to write a goddamn paper ever, but I – love stuff like this like with Colin where you could read stuff and then go talk to people about it or like I I can do art and poetry because that that's something I do but so I would love to be in a society where like you could do all that you know it's all free and like you can chat with people and then like on a Friday night your other thing that you're interested in like I don't know working in a science lab because you're looking for like the next vaccine or something like that right. everyone's yeah. able to do something like that like I would love to live in a world where we could all just like do different things whenever we wanted to do them for a period of time like just try out different roles jobs and hobbies and um, and we all can like I don't know, take care of each other. I in my in my utopia, we don't have these things called su- suburbs ever. That's the only thing I will be prescriptive about because I think suburbs are the death <laughs> of civilization. Like truly, I was just watching this thing ride on on 
because I, 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 so I lived in a big city. I lived in Minneapolis. Big city, lol. I lived in Minneapolis, which was a city, comparatively speaking, to where I came from before that. And, um, like, I'm kind of back in a place where I'm like, oh my god, where, where, where am I? I'm like away from civilization. You have to drive everywhere just to get anything, kind of thing. And it's really, really. Um, I didn't realize that that was the result of Euclidean zoning. Did you? I don't know if you've heard of that. Or, Euclidean you know. zoning, like Euclidean yes. ger- geometry. I imagine that's where it perhaps came from, but I don't. I just know that's the term where, like, basically huh. zoning is done in such a way where it's so and it's so extreme here. It's why in Europe, like, everything is like integrated, right? You have um, all these shops underneath. People live on top of them, and like, there's residential things right next to that. You know, in like big cities like that too. Um, that I would like a, I would like a world where that is more common than not. People can have their rural remote ass little fiefdom somewhere else. I don't care about that, but I, I would, I would ban the, the suburb. That's my only totalitarian edict in, in my utopia. I do think it's it, like, yeah, I, so Euclidean zoning, I haven't heard it. I didn't know I had this name before, but there is a tendency in the United States to, take um different uh, the the basic gist of it is you have different sorts of permits for land use and you divide the permits between uh sort of commercial industrial retail and residential whatever you know those Mm -hmm. kinds of categories so you have like you know uh You'll have certain zones in a city, which are all commercial districts. You have to be, you know, some kind of company, yada, yada, yada. Um, and you're not allowed to live in those zones, which yeah. is what, what was responsible for the, the suburbs, really, was yes. all of this land is yes. suburban. But And, yeah, suburbs generally suck. No offense to anyone who lives in a suburb or anything like they're that. They're, they're, they have parts of – I mean, like, it just – I don't know. I've never been to a suburb and, like, lived – I've never lived in a suburb and felt happy, I guess. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't want to shit all over him. Uh, You know, live your life, whoever you are. But, uh, yeah, I I do like, I mean, a lot of the reasons why you have places in Europe, which are, you know, shops on top of where people are living, is this is before a lot of those zoning laws really were taking effect or put in place, and they just grew organically. So there is something uh, there is something so awesome about like a, an organically grown city, you know, like fresh farm to table city that has everything. You're just in the mix of everything, right? It's kind of why New Yorkers go on and on about their fucking bodegas or whatever, yes. right? But you know, I as hating as I am. I'm not going to hate on the fact, like, I kind of like bodegas, so I'm not going to, you know, I I don't want to shit on it in in the same way, because it is kind of cool. But yeah, I know, I know I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down with that, for sure. Yes, I, I just don't understand, like, why, um, like, you talk a lot, you were mentioning in, before in our conversation, how everyone feels isolated, right? I think a big reason why people feel very isolated in part is because a lot of people have been moving progressively both to the suburbs and I mean, obviously there's more to it than that. There's the technology that we live in. 
there's, you know, where communication and engagement is now like really facilitated through screens and you don't need to, you don't need to engage with people to get what you need. Right. Um, which is disturbing on some level. And, um, and I'm not like a Luddite. I don't get it twisted. I am not a Luddite. I am all like for technology, you know, helping us get closer to our socialist utopia. But I, in my socialist utopia, we would have certainly carved out public spaces for dancing, for celebrations, for gathering, drinking or not, whatever, you know, whatever. And those spaces are filled frequently with people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I would say I would want, I want as much like, generally speaking, I want as many like just communal sort of barbecues and whatever as you can get. And then the rest of the time I can go be a weirdo on the internet. Right. Like that's, (laughs) those are my two, the two things that I need for balance are, you know, uh, communal spaces with uh, dancing and drinks and, and fun and just bullshitting. And then me going to go, uh, you know, meme for the rest of the night. Uh, those are the two components of any healthy leftist, I think. <laughs> yeah. the part of an essential balanced diet that will be right. described in your socialist utopia are memes <laughs> and, and something else. <laughs> but but I, have, I have a quick question for you. Yeah, go for it. If you don't mind, um, perhaps it's not quick, but so you, you talked a little bit before in other instances, you were, and you kind of describe yourself as like um, a lawyer by day and a like, leftist or socialist by night kind of situation yeah what 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 was that given the fact that we're talking about utopias and visions right what was that moment i guess that turning point moment for you and did it involve being enticed by a different vision as far as being more on the left being yeah 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 yeah, yeah. exactly yeah so it's it's been a long time coming, I think. Um, I guess what what made me more predisposed to become a leftist, too, was growing up in a sort of country-ass small town in, in Illinois, you know, a very rural environment where there weren't very many people of color at all. Um, you know, we were one of, like, two or three, maybe four black families in a town of, like, maybe 7,000 Um and a very red district, so you have a lot of, you just hear a lot of shit, and none of it is applicable to your life, and a lot of it comes from, uh, a lot of it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I was already more prone to being, uh, you know, more on the left than, than on the right with things, just from that upbringing. Uh, but there were a couple pretty big moments for me. I mean, I'm not I'm not super unique um law school in a way was radicalizing but not in the way that i expected it to be Mm. Uh, at first it was radicalizing in sort of you know i did uh, you know coming up in like college and everything i was in a lot of like anti-war groups and sort of uh sort of um you know um civil liberties groups and stuff like that, just because it's always, you know, that's always 
appealed to me. I've always thought that it makes sense for people to have basic humanity. Um, but in law school, some of that sort of went away for a little bit because it was, I became a lot more analytical with the way that I look at situations. Um, you know, police shootings and the like in particular. Uh, I, I did a lot of organizing in college around fatal police shootings. And in law school, where I was basically taught that everything is case specific, everything is about analysis of the particular facts of that case, um, there are no broad generally speaking, there are no broad social societal trends or anything like that. It's really an amalgamation of all these case by case, very fact intensive, fact specific situations. Hmm. Uh, so I would look at police shootings and instead of like before I would just have a visceral response. I would, I'd, I'd be very upset. And then there was a time where I would feel, or after law school, there's a time where a shooting or something would happen and I'd immediately need to know the facts like before I even had a reaction, I need to know what happened. I need to know when, where, what the circumstances were leading up to the shooting, et cetera. And to some extent, I'm still like that. Um, but I think what I didn't expect was being that analytical in the way that you approach certain problems. When you apply that kind of critical thinking to societal problems, very little of this fucking shit makes sense. Yeah. The way that we're running it. Very little of it makes a lick of fucking sense. You know, mm -hmm. the the degree to which you have entire populations. I mean, uh, we all pay taxes and there's no representation of the actual what the population wants as far as policy. Right. The fact that we can get into situations where we're in a 20 year war accomplishing fuck all and the people have wanted to be out of there for like 15 years right like once i start looking at once i basically started to to i guess apply that more analytical framework to societal problems that made me more even more inclined to uh, seek out a lot of leftist policies because i mean a lot of leftism i mean if you really start looking at like you know, communist theory and sort of, uh, you know, dialectical materialism and shit like that. A lot of that just vibes with lawyer brain. If mm -hmm. you're ready for that to, if you're ready to apply that, right. Which is basically you're applying a, an analytical framework to history. Um, that's already kind of within my, my, you know, it, it works with the way that I think about things. Right. But the, the other kind of, I guess, turning points were really, um, you could say the Obama campaign and the Bernie campaign or the Obama presidency, the Bernie campaign. And then honestly, with this latest turn, um, this is going to be real fucked up to some people on this call, I'm sure. But Joe Rogan, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> what? <laughs> You I know. Okay. <laughs> I said Lord Voldemort's name just now, right? <laughs> like seriously. But Joe Rogan, ironically, when I listen to him more, because um, I don't listen to him at all anymore now. But like, he introduced me to Crystal and Sagar when they were on the Hill on Rising. Interesting. Rising 
introduced me to Brianna Joy Gray mm-hmm. and a lot of that sphere. Um, I was aware of Kyle Kalinske from before, but I wasn't like super listening to what he was saying a lot of the times. So I wasn't, you know, he's like an acquired taste. He's yeah. Acquired and, taste. and now, now I, I think that I, especially when I need, like I need to have, uh, like all of us, but me in particular with, with having to apply that analytical framework to like with, uh, you know, my politic good faith actors who are giving me as accurate information as they can. And then, will uh, correct their mistakes when they make them. And Breaking Points does that. Kyle Kalinske does that really well. As, as far as an acquired taste, uh, I've never seen Kyle Kalinske not own up to getting something wrong or whatever. So I can kind sure. of trust what he reports on. Um, but, like, that was really, I mean, from there, you know, getting into breaking points and then you know that leads you to status quo and a bunch of other shit it it kind of that's made me i guess more radical and i guess honestly Brian, uh, I, I i hate to admit how much of an influence she's had on my politics i mean she's a good influence so maybe there's nothing wrong yeah she's about kind it. of amazing yo <laughs> she's really good she's really really good and also she she understands things sometimes from that analytical framework and applies it a lot. So every time I hear her making an argument about that, I, I vibe with it, right? Um, so that's been responsible for me too. But that's got me into other things too. I guess you know, like the I was never reading Noam Chomsky or any sort of Marxist theory until really until I started watching uh, Rising back when Crystal and Saga were on there and that got me into, because that exposed me too to Ben Burgess. Mm, and then I start, mm. start, you know, I, I take, he has these um, online classes that he does now with uh, Marxism that I've, I've been enrolled in for like a year and a half. And, you know, so he's, he's my professor now, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I would not have known of him had it not been for, uh, Rising, but I also, I mean, there's also people that have really been turning points too within the last ten years, and one of them is also ContraPoints. Natalie Wynn deserves oh, a lot of credit. Natalie Wynn for the I win. Fucking yes, the love win. Natalie Wynn. <laughs> She's amazing. Uh, in- incredible, incredible. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. think genius, genius, really. Very good faith too. I, I, yeah. A lot of everything she does is like good faith, and and she, I think she she really meets to me a lot of the times she, 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 she understands the nuance of still having a, a, like an element of compassion for people who kind of hate you in a way, right? Like she, she's, it's not like a vitriolic kind of I, I don't reaction know. that she has, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if she, I don't know if I would describe her as having compassion necessarily, but she, which, what, when I think what I'm seeing from all the people that you're mentioning and the through line of everything is that you have been very, and I think ContraPoints falls in this camp very beautifully is people who are, who take arguments seriously yeah. and take them and deconstruct them and really posit meaningful arguments back. Right. In a way where it's not like a gotcha, bro. It's like, right. Right. Let's like let's meaningfully engage with people as if they are 
sane, rational actors who have uh, points and see what what actually makes sense and what doesn't. A hundred percent. And, you know, when you start doing that or when I started doing that, it kind of made me realize how much the normal sort of political sphere of conversation is absolute fucking bullshit. It's just trash. And it's 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 nonsense that is aimed to, you know, with the goal of getting us to not speak critically about the actual issues. And that, to me, has been like, I'm sorry, you're going to say some, but that, that, that to me has just been, that's blown my, my absolute mind. Like it, it, it makes me feel like a conspiracy theorist when I'm not right. Yes. No, I agree. I, I, I'm, I will let you go here, but I wanted to just mention that the other, I appreciate you charting out the kind of timeline and trajectory of your development, your political development my the other piece of the question though is was there a point in there where you engaged with an alternative vision for society that was the piece that i'm I'm particularly ah yeah you know at first it was just uh reacting to problems i saw within my society you know Mm. when you look at over police communities when you look at people who can't provide for for their families because they don't have jobs or meaningful employment. It was all sort of reactionary in that sense. But honestly, as I've, I don't know when the turning point was and it wasn't when I started to watch Star Trek, but I'm sure that helped, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like I'm sure that played somewhat of a role because I still, you know, if you ask me to quote an actual episode or something, most of the time I can't do it because I, you know, I just fall asleep to it, but it's, You know, I, I, that's what I put on to go to bed at night is, you know, put on some Star Trek. Everything's going to be okay tomorrow by just watch the Star Trek. You'll be good. Um, but I think it really started, I guess, when I, once I understood how the resources of the state are actually used and you start to think of where you can reallocate those resources that's when I really start to understand like, or, or, or the, or the resources of the ultra wealthy as well, right. That they fit into this too. Mm-hmm. Um, once you look at that and see that a lot of these problems are not, do not have to be problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, more Marxist analysis plays a role in that too with, you know, what is the point of having these productive forces, if not to eliminate scarcity and human need, mm-hmm. uh, that, starts to make you ask a lot of questions or it's, it started to make me ask a lot of questions about like, well, then what the fuck are we doing here? Like why it's not a matter of we don't have the money, we don't have the uh, resources or the ability. It's, we don't have the will. And why don't we have the will? Uh, because the people who uh, benefit from society as is do not want that to change. And they have a majority of the power and a majority of the control over our, our, you know, institutions. And once you start, I mean, once, you know, the fact that I like, I don't, I don't, I can't remember when the, the linchpin was for me. And it wasn't, it, again, it wasn't law school, but I will say law brain when applied to this stuff um, can sort of make you a little crazy, right? <laughs> like a little um it it seems fucking crazy that we're not changing things that yeah. 
that we're not doing anything about it. And you have to look at why that is. And the answer is typically because the people who benefit from that exploitative system do not want it to change. And they're doing everything that they can to stop that, including buying news networks and putting out propaganda and manufacturing our consent. And that's when shit gets a little like, I mean, that's where I'm at right now. Uh, as far as politically, right? Right. Um, So it seems like you engaged with uh, alternate visions through questioning the status quo. Why is this this when this could be this way? Or why do some people have this and when other people don't? There's clearly a discrepancy here. Right. And, you know, know, like, it's... That's a snowball. Like, once you start engaging with that, I do think anyone who gets to that point starts to sort of reinforce themselves with with those questions because those questions they don't go away right right. and as soon i i do think a lot of my politics now are really geared at getting people to that point to where they're they're just asking those questions Mm -hmm. because you know as a look if we're going to be a democracy too you should be your representatives should be able to answer those questions They should be obligated to answer those motherfucking questions, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that a lot of those questions don't even get any play in mainstream media, to me, shows you the fix. You know, like, to me, it, because they're not, you could probably, like, there's there's people who are a lot smarter than I am who could discover these things from, like, just first principles or whatever, which is why I do like Brianna Joy Gray a lot, is I think that a lot of these questions she just kind of come to. Right. Like I need guidance from over here, you know, someone with a little bit of some Marxist analysis, someone from, you know, uh, some uh, counterpoints on on YouTube, whatever, to get me to ask some of these questions. But I I do think she um, I don't know where it comes from for her, but like I do think that once you get people to start asking those questions, it it's a self-perpetuating sort of thing. It's a mindset that begins to build upon itself. And I think that's one of our biggest weapons politically is that once you get down to like, you know, brass tacks or whatever they call it, once you get down to brass tacks, our (laughs) politics, like our politics and our political questions are not bullshit. They are substantive. There is, there, there is a real sort of, uh, there's something real to them. And they're, they're tangible, right? It's not this ephemeral bullshit that happens with a lot of the culture war stuff. And I know we've talked a lot of, about the culture war, and you've convinced me to, to, you know, it's not, you can't completely disregard it and you shouldn't because, you know, there are people on the other end of that culture war who are actually the victims of it, right? Who are actually well, hurt and marginalized by it. Well, um, just just real quick, and then I, I swear I'm going to see my thing to Shelley. I on that note, it, it wasn't it, my point was not that we should not. Um, my 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 point was just a little deeper or bigger in questioning what are we talking about when we say culture war, right? If you're going to call, um, like the culture war is something very very to me, it's something actually very specific. It is. Um, and you can see its trajectory from the 90s, in particular in the 90s. It's not, it wasn't a start in the 90s, but you definitely can see it, its prominence in the 90s forward where people were talking about 
um, trying to, again, enact like a Judeo-Christian society because they felt like um, commercials and violent video games, et cetera, were changing the way people viewed each other, right? Like right. that's culture war. Whereas we refer to issues around access to bathrooms and public spaces and um, healthcare that trans youth need as being quote unquote culture war when that's not <laughs> that is not what yeah we're, so they, that's that, those are very really good point things. so yeah, yeah yeah but i appreciate you by sharing with me your uh, your trajectory again and fuck rico I, you gotta blow my mind again with it that's real <laughs> though <laughs> oh my god. It, god it almost god it almost like we it, it even the aspect of calling it a culture war for like trans youth is dehumanizing to some extent, right? It, it, it takes away the, the humanity aspect of it and the material makes it, aspect of it, the material, the material exactly. Aspect of oh it. Like, man. Like, these are, yeah. You want to talk about Marxist shit here? Well, and this is where I, okay, I I'm going to go down on the rebel. Shelly's been waiting patiently. I know. Shelly's loving it though. So Shelly, Shelly, we know Shelly. Shelly is enjoying every bit of it. She is fucking <laughs> sipping some tea. She is just about it right now. So go ahead, go off, girl. Oh, oh, she gone. Oh, I guess she ain't gonna go off. Okay. Oh shit, she's about to drop something. <laughs> I know. I was sitting here ready. I'm, I'm totally good. Rika, do, do, um, yeah, okay. Okay. Get, okay. Get she's back. She's back. All right, let's go. Okay, Rika, we're ready. So, sorry, that was a premature <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> Literally mic drop. No, yeah. okay. I, I, all I was just gonna say was just that I, the, we, my, yeah, my argument was about how we're playing. It, we need to engage in the quote unquote what we're, people are referring to as culture wars because there are material issues in them, right? Yes. And the way we don't, just because you are, um, or some people in the left don't like have relationships with trans people and don't really understand it, or they might actually fuck with some of the arguments of radical feminists, right? Like, I like does it mean that- Turfs, you, yeah. Well, no, no, I don't, you know- Not turfs I, or radical- Well, here's my, here's my thing. Okay. That. There are turfs. But there are mm -hmm. I I my my po politics comes from a deep like understanding of radical feminism like right. I like in a very Marxist feminist lens black feminist lens. like like I mean we can put a lot of other qualifiers on there too but like I deeply believe that like gender is an oppressive structural thing in our society and has been particularly used to oppress. Um, females for sure like mm -hmm. no question the the turn for a lot of radical feminists between them and what terps are is that terps then go and say that gender that trans people are upholding that system by playing into gender stereotypes right that reify these categories of domination in particular those who are assigned male at birth, who they call, you know, or men, otherwise that they would call, um, and are doing that, and that's and that's where the turfs like venture off from the kind of main trunk of radical feminism that I and many trans people and many queer people uh, subscribe to. Like we're, and, and in fact, Judith Butler, I would probably argue that she, they are a radical feminist, and you know, like Judith. 
Judith is like, like very much about understanding that another way of deconstructing these um, oppressive categories is to complicate them and to and, and create spaces and alternatives for new ones to emerge. The, but the meaningful rub that's coming in the turf discourse hmm. um, with with legit like I think and I think there are legitimate concerns with other radical feminists, and this is why they're they're you see them kind of aligning with the um, conservative right. Uh, and, and libertarian conservative, socially conservative things going on there um, is that w- there are laws that have been passed in the countries that allow for gender identification to be the sole basis for how you are given access to resources. And there are a lot of a radical feminists are concerned about how simply that simply relying on identification or I identify as X, you know, grants people access to female-only spaces that could potentially cause harm. Now, there is, so on that, I take that that concern as, you know, ContraPoints has like a really good video about this and you should take that concern at face value, but the problem is when you dig deeper into that, it's not a widespread phenomenon, which doesn't mean that those instances aren't, like worthy concerns that we should address, but right, you know, right. it's not like we have hordes of trans people going out raving, you know, people, right? Like that's just not that right. Or that's, claiming that's, that's an identity to to thereby victimize or or to to you know only as a guise to uh, you know sort of code or or uh, obfuscate predatory behavior. Right. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and and they and the and the real d- problem is is that they miss the what and what what queer and trans people and I use queer intentionally because I think that's like the gender nonconforming community like it, yeah it, 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 I think you that's know, right like um that what we offer in terms of our a materialist analysis around our experience is that we offer a, another explanation for how people who are not necessarily, who, who may or may not be female, but are also oppressed by the gender category and gender binary system, how that impacts our lives by simply existing. And, and the classic example of who you can, if you talk to any butch lesbian um, who may yeah. or may not identify as a hardcore dyke, like they, and I, many of whom have been my elders <laughs> in my community are, are very, very clear about how they identify very much. They'll, they'll tell you they identify as female. Um, some of them do or don't, but to, or have like meaning attached to that, you know, to varying degrees, but they understand so acutely how their natural gender presentation, gender expression leans more to a man and has invited incredible incredibly dangerous circumstances for them in their lives they would not identify even as trans right like so like i'm just saying that like right it, it's 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 a um so for me again the only i was only providing that for like context around like the the culture turf. war yes. yeah and the turf yeah. stuff yeah yeah right yeah. the culture it, the, so the culture war piece of that isn't isn't um whether or not trans people should be trans particularly trans women should be in female sports or whether or not trans youth should have access to health care that they need um and support that they need it is 
the the cultural element is we're redefining these inherently important legal categories that give us our rights as females as women right right that's that's that and then the other piece of it is right oh we as a society for all these ages have and this is what you'll hear from matt walsh which you were referencing this stupid documentary that's coming out with that i can yeah. is is gonna be it's it's gonna be so heartbreaking because girl get ready it's gonna fucking suck ass it's, go- it's just this it's gonna cause a whole fucking storm of bullshit it just is get so, ready and, and, and it's gonna hurt people that, yeah it's that's just it though it's like the reason why th- these documentaries are so effective is because they also use like people who are who maybe aren't the most eloquent or sophisticated in argument and conversation 100%. and then they're like oh look they don't even know what they talk about and it's just like jesus the average person doesn't like get into the nitty-gritty like this we're just trying to live you know and yeah. it's all that, so but the the culture war element of that is we as a society have known all along what a man and a woman is and now all of a sudden you have all of these people right. who are identifying as something else and the list like mockingly like 96 plus gender categories right um as and that's cool but what it really does is destroy um children's lives yeah that's it's gonna make all your sons want to just suck dick dude exactly. like a hundred percent your son is gonna want to suck so just choke so much hog yeah it's it's exactly. it's fucking crazy it's but that's yeah that's the that's the narrative i mean you know yes. and the, the fucking what's her name's book about the the contagion aspect of of transgenderism or anything like that. And look, because here, th- that's, you know, let, we'll go down this this tunnel for a little bit because we're here, okay. you know, and you know what? We, we, we're vibing with it. But there is a discussion to be had about, okay, the degree to which, uh, you know, kids are, are, are influence each other through their own social groups as to sure. either how they're identifying sure. or while they're still figuring things out. All of that is like a, a fair discussion to have, which is, you know, I think what you would advocate for, too, or what you'd, you're talking about here. The, yeah. the problem is the, the way it's sort of weaponized in one way as a to make like a wider point that is aimed at destroying the validity of uh, either certain communities or, the, or, or dehumanizing a wider sort of group from that right it's well uh, yes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. keep going yes i'm sorry oh well go ahead it sounds like you got you got something to say no i just it it what what it's doing so yes the the, the legitimate conversation to have is in my opinion um not whether or not trans identities are trendy right that's not the legitimate actual conversation because the reality is that if we really want to take it Every identity can be seen as trendy. You can you right. can take that along any axis, right? right. Like you really right. can. This is not that's not really a legitimate conversation in my mind because it's what it is is it's a it's an immediate acceptance of the idea that trans is not not a legitimate category of existence or of interpreting or understanding your existence, right? In this world, yeah, well, interesting. So yeah, that's that's tr- okay. Yeah, I'm following. Legit- Keep going. The legitimate conversation is that we can ask is 
we can still ask, why do we think we have so many people now all of a sudden identifying as trans? I think that's, that's an, that is a question that we can ask, but not, is it, why is it trendy? Right? Like that it's, to me, we can ask why young people feel like they can identify as trans. I'm sure the question that you're going to, what you're not going to hear, what you're going to hear is that it is because it's becoming trendy and they see it on TikTok. What you're not going to hear is the reality is that people are exploring and have more space to explore their expression of gender. And when they come up with and against Mm. the societal expectation and norm that their physiology does not match their gendered social role or expectation of that social role, then we have a term for that and they're grabbing on that term. Like that is just yeah. literally what it is. Interesting. <laughs> and that's okay. Interesting. Yeah. That's okay. I think the thing is, is like that is okay for us to understand that that is what is happening. That doesn't undermine our experience. That doesn't undermine the fact that people may or may not continue with or a different gender identity or not. The but understanding that is very different than, for example understanding the actual healthcare protocols that are in place there. Mm. So a lot of people then all of a sudden conflate that this quote unquote back and forth that maybe people are experiencing, maybe young youth are in particular trans youth are experiencing, which who care? In my opinion, I don't give, I don't care. Who cares? Great. Good, good, right. good for them. Let them, right. let them be. <laughs> um, I think we'd have a, actually a happier world and a lot of happier, you know, young childhoods. <laughs> if, if we had people being able to do whatever the hell they wanted like that. But I, I think where people get um, concerned is this idea of like, Oh, surgery is happening. So physically they're going to be changing all of a sudden. It's like, you actually, you actually cannot, get that kind of surgery until you've been gone through a very rigorous psychological evaluation. And after years of being on hormone blockers, like, like there is a whole ass process and it is done with the idea that we understand that young people are exploring, right? Like that's, that is, that is total. And that I, I just, it just, it just baffles me because in all of these conversations, Every time these conversations come up, like you do not have trans people in the room talking about that shit. Like, you, yeah. you don't. You don't. And yeah. and and it drives me nuts because the 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 people who then quaintly say these words like gender ideology or transgenderism. Robbie Suave. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just like, they do it all the time. And then they make us seem like we're, um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's like, it it, it, it does like a thing where it makes it to seem as if it's a, a religion. Yeah. And, or a, a, an ideology as if gender, the gender, the gender binary isn't an ideology. Like they completely are able to bypass that. Where exactly, no, exactly. No, no. Well, I think that goes back to again the when we were talking earlier, and what we've talked about a lot today is you know the the power of that narrative of that the right wing has in this sort of family values and yes. this nuclear family, right? Like 
generally speaking, I think one of the frustrations with being more of a leftist is when you deconstruct so many of these things and you're left with this answer of, well, you know, life can really look like anything. And really, the ideal life for most people should look like whatever they want it to look like. Whatever they, <laughs> it, that's freedom, right? But when it comes to, okay, but does that provide a framework for the mind of somebody in making sense of a lot of things? In some ways, it does in the, in the, in the greatest sense. It does, right? You're free. You're truly free to explore your own self, your own communities, your own everything. But in some ways, it's not like we can deny the strength with which, or at least the, 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 the power that this idea, this fiction of the nuclear family and this fiction of um, gender as a, you know, n not as a construct, but as a, you know, a fact or whatever they want to call it, right? It's not like we can deny the impact that this has had on the framing of people and their minds and how they approach these issues and how they talk about it and even how they respond to someone like you who is just giving a rational argument as to why people should be allowed to fucking exist, right? So it's, I, I think that's where, I mean, that's kind of why I want to explore more of like where... What does that society, what is our different, mm. you know, what are these mm. different examples of what society can look like when, we, when we're freeing people right. up to actually live it? Because I understand the, like, people, I mean, growing up in Southern Illinois, people, you would be amazed how, how quickly you can get people to adopt that uh, zeitgeist of the nuclear family of, and, and then they never question it. And everything that they see, you know, is in opposition to the norm. And I'm doing air quotes of that framework, which has already been sort of uh, infused into their mind. Right. Like it, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is like a lot of the times it feels like, it feels like you're having to break out of a matrix all the fucking time. Yeah. Right. And, to, is there a way, I guess, to program the matrix to for people to actually like not have the framework in their head before to where they even need to break out? Right? Well, does that make yeah. sense? Okay. No, it does make sense. I guess, I guess, personally, from my perspective, I just don't think about it. I don't think about culture and politics in that way. I think about it. I culture and politics. It, it come from that action and doing first and foremost. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Know, and I, I, I don't, I think we, you know, to kind of borrow a line from Judith or, well, I, she often quotes Simone de, Beau, de Beauvier. I think that's how you pronounce mm -hmm. her name. It was a feminist. who was like, um, who talks about becoming a woman in, in a way. And I know that's very, very like controversial to say that. Um, but there is, in my opinion, we we don't. I would prefer a politics and a, and a political and political action that is focused less on trying to hand people an ideological packet for them to process and digest, versus mm -hmm. like existing with people. And from there, generating something like there's just I, I, I agree. I hundred I hundred percent agree with that. I hundred percent agree. But I I do think that 
we have to address the potency of someone who comes with handing out that packet of yeah, ideology, but, right? But they're but they're doing it. I guess my my thing is is that there is, it is potent when people are isolated and presented with an image right. of something that is foreign to them and new to them and and either or exotic or seemingly dangerous, right? That's when it's intoxicating. But that mm-hmm. quickly, honestly, that can devolve, like qu- dis- dissipate fairly 100% quickly. hundred percent it can, yeah. When you, when you actually engage with people who are, who kind of shatter that stereotype. Now, I don't, th- I don't think that political project is for everyone to do, right? There that, that, I think a lot of people, this idea that like, you know, if we all just t- talk to Trump voters, we'll all, we'll all be, you know, whatever. It's like, no, like some people, some people can do that work. Some people can't, you know, yeah. like, um, and I think, but I, I, I guess I, I'm not saying that the impulse to want to have examples of living life differently is not important. In fact, I add, I think that's, a, that is brilliantly important. That's why we often talk about, and just to bring it back to the, like being trans for a second, like we talk about communities in history that have existed and societies in history that right. have existed. Exactly. Memorial, like to say like, this is, this is not a modern phenomenon. This is like, right. you know, ancient, if you will, but I tell as old as time. Yes. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, but I'm, I'm just not, um, uh, I want people to, I guess engage with real people first, <laughs> right? Right. Before I have to say something like that, <laughs> that's my yeah. ideal ideal quote. So yeah, that that that's true. Well, uh, God, Rico, you're always great. Um, Goddamn. Yeah, yeah, we, well, thanks, Bride. Yeah. Again, I appreciate everything you do here and facilitating conversation. But it looks like we got uh, some newer faces in, in the queue, so I'll I'll hang up now. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rico. I appreciate talking to you. All right, Shelly, welcome, welcome back. Well, it's really hard to follow Rika, um, <laughs> even though I had the chance for a second and I gave it up. <laughs> You're welcome. Rika. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, no, because now it's kind of hard for me to kind of follow up because you guys spent like a brief period of time like kind of talking about like the breaking point stuff, and I was yeah. wondering if you would be willing to maybe try like to do an episode on sort of left media critique, um, because I've got plenty to critique about the very people that radicalized me, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't be where I am without like Crystal, Kyle, like all Ryan Graham, like all of those people. Yeah. At the same time, I will have to say, and this is just one example that I can give is that it was around the time that the, the, the Cuban protests happened, you know? Uh, do you remember those? I think it was, I I honestly don't, but I'm a I'm a big dum dum. So en- <laughs> well, enlighten I me. That. I, they, like it was around the time they had vaccines. They developed their vaccines. Oh, I remember this. I remember this. Right. Yeah, yeah. So here, here was kind of one of my very first like, whoa! I don't belong here, and I don't trust them anymore. Is that those protests were going on, and I was following like a couple of accounts, and like literally the accounts. Whenever I was getting the pictures on them, it says Crystal follows Crystal Ball follows this person. I know it's in her feed, and like basically they did radars and they did like conversations where they were showing the Cuban protests, but they were actually the counter protests 
that had the July 26th movement clearly displayed. And they were like, all these people are against the Cuban government. They don't like what's going on. July the 26th is Fidel Castro's movement. Those were pro-Cuban like protests that they were putting pictures up. And she was following the same accounts that I was getting that information from. Because that's what my feed showed. If I, as a fucking idiot, that is not responsible for representing the left, can figure out that she's using the wrong pictures, then she can too. And that was kind of one of the first things. And that's just kind of one of many. Um, but I was just wondering if you'd be curious about doing that, because I do think that there is room for critique in that way. You know? Oh, I think, I think if there's anything that the left is really good at, it's critiquing others on the left to, uh, to, uh, y- you know, to the point, to the bone. Basically, but, my, but I do think, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to like poke fun at that or anything, you know, but yeah, it's, what I'm saying is I feel like one of the reasons why I love and appreciate Brie so much mm-hmm. is I feel like she moves with the left. She, I, I, I would agree with that. I think if she hears something that actually makes a lot of sense, I mean, look, we all have our, our, God knows we all have our blind spots and we all have things that we're, we're not going to move on. Right. Um, you are never going to move Brianna joy gray on. Maybe you should vote for Biden this time around. It's just not going to happen. Right. Like there's not going to be a, uh, uh, I mean, not that there's, I mean, there are arguments for it. I've made them basically, you know, buying, buying more time to do other shit, Mm -hmm. but you know, whatever, like, but generally speaking, yeah, I do think she, uh, she'll respond to uh, people who make good points. And I think, look, that should just be a normal sort of baseline for all people. Is that, uh, as far as, you know, like, if, if I find out tomorrow with unequivocal evidence that socialism or a lot of, like, different parts of socialism just will not work, I'm going to change. Like, right. that is just, that's called not being a fucking, you know, like a zealot for something. It's, it's, if you want, if, if your ultimate goal is truth and better outcomes, then you have to be willing to adjust with yes. information as it comes in. But, um, yeah, maybe we can do an episode on that. I had an episode planned for just like consumerism and I kind of like these more pulp, semi pop cultural, cultural sort of episodes a little bit, like allowing, you know, people to be a little more loosey goosey with just yeah. what we talk about, and you go yeah. down multiple avenues. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I like that. But the other um, thing that I just wanted to say, because you and Rika definitely had a, a way more su- substantive conversation, but it's kind of like what Rika was saying about like we're talking about like the trans issue being trendy, and that's kind of the reason why I jokingly said last time I heard it was infectious. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what I mean, because that's how I feel like a lot of people view that stuff. It's like, oh, my God, if you allow any type of, like, alternative lifestyle to be shown around kids, it'll rub off on them. And I don't – that's the thing that I think is weird about the whole thing. Like, that's not – that's not what that – that's not what people are experiencing. And I think part of Rika's point, too, is, like, what's the problem with people – exploring the, you know, uh, or going outside of the sort of, uh, 
gender ideologies or whatever gender ideology now I'm saying it, but the concept of gender as it currently exists, like what's wrong with what is so fucking harmful about people exploring outside of that. Um, that's exactly what I'm talking right. about. It's like, but the way that it's portrayed is it's portrayed as though it's a sickness. And that's what I really don't like about it. Right. And what I really hate about it. Like just let people do their thing. If, if, if that's how they feel comfortable, if that's what they aspire to be, then let them be that. And I promise you, they're not going to change anyone's mind. You're either, you either have that, uh, gender construct or you don't, it's not and, going to overtake society. Like, that's the thing that I don't get it. They act like what's kind of what Rico was saying about like the trans hordes. Like what, what is that type of phrase? Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. Really a trans horde. Are they really saying that? Well, like a horde of trans. <laughs> that's like a fucking zombie apocalypse of transgender. What the fuck? Like the way that they talk about it on the right is like a zombie force. Yeah. That's thing that's insane to me. Like if one trans person goes to a bathroom beside you, now you've got a zombie disease. And, and that's the thing that I think is so fucking disgusting about it. And yeah. I really hate that the trans community has to navigate in that space and constantly just beat back every single just oppressive force. It's, yeah. Horrible, and I don't, I, I don't know what it's like, and I wish I could just so I could have a better response and a better way to help. Yeah, yeah well, with, um, you know, we'll eventually all get to gay space communism, and as long as you are, I mean, maybe part of that is actually being turned trans, you know? Maybe we're actually, maybe we should be on the other side of this message and be trying to turn everyone into part of the zombie uh, horde that does not exist. Um, you know, maybe we can rethink the way we approach it, but yeah, it's, I mean, it sucks for, uh, yeah, fuck it. It sucks. You know, right. it's, it's not fun, but it's, So I was just going to say, maybe, maybe let's have like a left media hash out thing. And then I want to hear from North and I'm sorry, Rika, if I can't, if I'm not as eloquent as you are, but I try. <laughs> yeah. Rika told me you did a good job. Um, she didn't actually say that, but that's what she'd say. She's oh. a sweetheart, so don't worry about it. Okay. All right. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. All right. Uh, North, let's go ahead and bring you up here. Take next caller. North, welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. Uh, what's on your mind? You can go ahead and unmute yourself. Oh, no, North. North, are you there, buddy? Canada, we really need some Canadian representation in here. You got to do Dr. Jordan Peterson proud with <laughs> the... Oh, North, are you there? Oh, no. You know what time it is, everyone. Amazing grace, how sweet. The sound that say, <laughs> yeah, North, you're gonna have to try to 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 call back in or something, buddy. Uh, you're not, you're really not popping in. Really not popping in here. 
Oh, buddy. Oh, North. Maybe you're going to be the closer, buddy. You're going to close this shit down. That's okay. That's okay. North is just putting his notes together, or her notes together, about, uh, uh, I don't know, gay space communism and what they need to get out of it and yada, yada, yada. Okay, well, I, uh, I don't know if we have any other callers then. And uh, seeing as North, North would probably have to update their... Uh, their calling app or whatever to uh, to get things going. But if there's no one else who wants to call in, we're going for about two and, damn, god damn, two hours and 23 minutes? Okay. I've been going for a little bit. Well, I got a little more time in me if there's anyone else who wants to call in, talk about what your socialist utopia looks like, what you would want, uh, what kind of, uh, I don't know, what you think some of the more uh, traditional cultural institutions would look like under socialism or what they can look like, what they should look like, if you think they should look a certain way. Uh, after this, I'm kind of convinced they shouldn't be or uh, doing so would be a little antithetical to the, the freedom that socialism would kind of be trying to give us in the first place. And maybe that's what we can do. We can wrap up with some of the, the big, sort of the big questions or the big things that we got from today so far. Um, one being the danger of prescribing or trying to uh, idealize one particular form of a cultural institution like the family after a socialist revolution. Um, you can provide these examples of what life can look like for families, what life can look like for communities uh, after socialism, but to try to make one a linchpin of a political movement, uh, any one singular vision, to try to make that the linchpin of your political movement is going to have an ostracizing effect on people who are also going to be liberated under a more socialist economy, but who may not have that vision. You know, I think that a perfect socialist society should allow a person or allow people to raise families if they want to, and then allow someone to just be a, 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 a perfect little whore as much as they want to be, to just be the, the sluttiest dude on the block, just going out and fucking, doing whatever, right? Just getting weird with it. You know, that's... But also having the free time in the community to do that. Um, I think that's kind of the point here, is that the liberating forces of freeing people from a constant sort of uh, fear of hunger or of need that is the basis of the exploitation that comes from capitalism right now. Uh, once you free people from that, society should look like a place where everyone is allowed to just do what they kind of want to do. And people are going to want to do different things, right? It gets a little bit, uh, it's almost like social anarchism to an extent, right? 
but it's very much the embodiment of live and let live. So the first, you know, how do you address these issues with people who may not be politically aligned with you or who may have a different opinion or whatever? You address first with policy, right? The idea of what universal health care is going to uh, give them uh, substantively. Uh, freedom of medical debt. An ability to be treated whenever they have a medical issue, regardless of whatever. Um, so you offer that concrete point first. Then you ask them, well, how would that impact your life? How would that allow you to do what you want to do? How would that change things for you? Uh, the same with uh, a living wage or a, you know better wages or an ownership stake in a company. Uh, the real sort of, what I've gotten from this conversation is a real sort of political force and the power, the cultural power that socialism has is uh, enforcing what is true freedom for people, allowing people the, uh, you know, once their basic needs are met, the ability to actually go and pursue what it is that they want. And that's kind of, if, if, if gay space communism is going to be anything, you know, shouldn't it be that? Shouldn't it just be all of us doing what we want? What would I do? I'd, I'd probably become the, the sluttiest boy on my block. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That, that'd be me. I'd just be the sluttiest boy in, on my block, just going out there, showing my ass, <laughs> just doing whatever. Um, no, what I would do, I would, I would travel. I would go, you know, I would go try to experience as much life as I possibly could. I would try to learn from people, you know, um, Rika was on here talking about how she loves to learn. Shelly was talking about how she'd love to travel to places like Thailand and experience sort of the, the, the things that we would otherwise not be able to experience in life um, because we'd be, uh, you know, stuck working or we wouldn't be able to experience as often or to the fullest. Right. Um, and, you know, the beauty of being able to go different places and experience different cultures and interact with different people is it's also reinforced by the freedom that a, uh, you know, the freedom from want gives you. I think that in a socialist society, all of these different cultures and all of these different sort of uh, communities and the arts and the things that they value would be reinforced because they don't constantly have to be working. It gives them more time to sort of engage in these things. I think you'd have a culturally richer world if people were, again, free of that kind of want free of that kind of struggle. And I don't think it is, I really don't think it's impossible either. Getting back to the practical standpoint, if we just turn our heads back up and let all that shit back in that we had just dumped out way earlier on, okay, put all that shit back into your head. All right, there it is. There's the depression. There it is. Ah, feels good. In a way, in a way, it's back. Okay, but... The jokes aside, right, if we let all the practical considerations back in too, right, 
what does sort of general sort of Marxist analysis say about the perfecting of machines, right? The things that we use to, uh, you know, produce commodities and produce things, right? Eventually, these things are going to become so perfect that they don't need workers. So now we just have machines that are producing without even the need for labor. And if we take the fact that so many of the, the jobs or whatever, so much of that labor that produces things is going to be, uh, you know, automatized or, or automized. And you say, okay, we're now going to take the things that these machines produce to eliminate that scarcity. Um, why couldn't you then have a Star Trek society? Why, why is that so utopian that it's unrealistic? I don't think it is, honestly. You know, now you could say maybe, you know, maybe we're not in the Matrix. Maybe we're in, um, I don't know, Terminator. And then the machines decide to just off all of humanity. That's a possibility. <laughs> honestly, I want to blame them. I'd be like, girl, I get it. I get it. You know, like, I, I'm not with you, but I get it. I get it. But, you know, assuming that we get to a place to where human labor is not necessary, it's almost inevitable that we're going to get there. And I think with that in mind, what would that free us up to do? Who would that free you up to be? And I think that would, you know, honestly, just on some, some more cosmological shit, I think that would be such a profound development for the human species is this idea that we as a species somehow made it to a point to where we didn't have to want anymore. We, we, we didn't have to struggle even for existence itself. And instead we could just fully explore the, the bounds of our human experience as opposed to our human needs and not needs like, you know, stuff like love and all that there. You're still, obviously that stuff's always going to continue. And obviously there's still going to be pain and heartache and all of that. Sure. But imagine a world to where every time a child is born, like, no matter what happens to that kid, who they grow up to be, what kind of faculties they're, they're born with, they're just taken care of. They're going to eat. They're going to have a place to live. Imagine how much of a mind fuck that is. Like, the thing is, I think the thing that really that gets me is we're not that far from being able to do that. Seriously, we're not that far off from that actually being a reality. And is it, you know, for people who try to say, oh, you're being naive or you're being, uh, you know, you're being like a child or whatever. Like, no, 
We're, if you could just, it's a pure numbers game. You could just look at what we already produce and who needs the shit. And if you look at, you know, if you look at the general state of our economy right now, we're already overproducing compared to the needs of people. So why is it so far-fetched to think that we could produce enough homes and enough food for people to live? And then given that they have a home and given that they have food, they're going to be watching a lot of Star Trek. (laughs) And what does that mean? I don't know. I've seen holograms before. I saw that Tupac hologram some years back at that Coachella. Don't tell me it can't exist. They brought Tupac back for a performance. I saw that Will I Am hologram way back when, whenever it was on CNN for some like presidential election, which was the weirdest fucking thing I've probably still ever seen. Like to this day, that was wild. I don't know why they chose Will I Am to comment on an election. I don't know why he was a hologram, but that shit is wild, and it's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. But, you know, I think that's a good place to wrap up today. These are questions where, like, it's always good. I always love this shit, because, you know, I, I sometimes I'm not as creative as I would like to be, and I think, you know, a lot of people can probably vibe with that. But part of, you know, part of this being involved in any way or even interested in politics, especially with the degree that I know a lot of people on this call are, is, God damn, you can get so, like, bogged down in the minutia, in the constant state of flux of crises that keep coming up and up and up on the, you know, the particular details of every single story, the, you can get sucked into a world, even the conversations that we're having and how certain people frame them and how certain things become newsworthy or not. And then you add Twitter on there and it's just a bunch of like, blah, 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 blah. Like Twitter. Oh my God. Like Twitter, uh, Twitter is a blessing and a curse, but mostly a curse. Right. And the reason why Rika is so articulate and why she's fucking an actual unique human being with actual good shit to say she's not on twitter right (laughs) that's that's part like don't let that shit suck you in but we can get sucked into that and i think it's good to to pull back every once in a while and by every once in a while i mean often to pull back get that wider lens of what we're actually looking for why we actually became involved in this shit to begin with why we care, and what we would like society to sort of look like for us. And it doesn't need to look like that way for other people, but again, that's why I do think the messaging as to what does a socialist utopia look like, I think the first thing, you know, if I was going to say practically what you should start with is choice. It looks like choice. It looks like freedom. It looks like liberation. I think that's the starting point. And then you kind of let people blow their own minds from there as to what that society can actually look like. What kind of cultural institutions they want to be involved with. What kind of people they want to hang out with. But I do think, you know, 
the freedom for us to be bullshitting on a street corner in Puerto Rico is not a bad place to start for a socialist utopia. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining me tonight. It's been real. Some real great conversations. And I hope you enjoyed your stay at the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. Take care.